Welcome to Deep Look, Ultiworld's weekly radio show about the current state of Ultimate. I'm the host and the editor of Ultiworld, Charlie Eisenhood. Joining me, as always, Ultiworld senior editor, Keith Rayner. Keith, you got a tournament coming up, and I've heard there's been some uh, trials and tribulations with the B team. Yeah, I, I want to get your take on this. So, uh, unfortunately, I'm going to miss my first tournament uh, in service to you people to go cover Stanford Invite, uh, which I- I'm also excited about. But uh, So, my A team and my B team are going to their first tournament together. Um, now, the B team low on numbers like we're having people just kind of like drop out flit in and out like trying to get everything all set up so we're going to this tournament uh there's an even number of teams and in order to help out i'm like hey captains why don't we ask the td if we can send some of our rookies to like kind of rotate in and out playing with the b team uh if we can get the approval of the teams like would that be okay the the td said no now, what, what's your take here? Like, I was a little, I was a little frustrated because I want to make it a safe con- playing environment for the players, and I want to help the tournament continue on. I've been a TD. I know what it's like to have someone drop out of your tournament at the last minute. Uh, do you do you think we should have gotten the go ahead to like let a couple rookies slide in and out of the out of the lineup? I'm I'm running through this in my head right now. And I'm trying to come up with arguments as to why I would not allow something like that at a tournament like this in the middle of the regular season for a B team. And I can't come up with it. So really, I think it's sort of surprising that that wouldn't be allowed because what is the problem if the B team is a little bit better, I guess, than it should have been? But it's not, it's not like the B team's going to be out there dominating. Yeah, I guess like maybe if somebody... Uh, accidentally like gave up four or five points to the B team and like somehow that hurt their ranking. I guess that could be bad, but I think that's, and to be fair, the TD doesn't know how good our rookies or our B team is, but uh, they are not very experienced. I think they're going to struggle to score many, if any goals, especially if we can't add the A team rookies. Cause now I think I may have just gotten a text that we may have gone down to nine. So maybe we're going to have to drop out. We'll see. Yikes. Uh, nine is like, you're not even supposed to play with nine. So yeah, hopefully no, we can not. find ten. So you shouldn't make that public on Deep Look. <laughs> Aaron, my dirty laundry here, but well, I well, Deaver's well, going to personally come to the tournament and disqualify them. Can he? Can he pick up though? Like we need. <laughs> we'll bring the cleats. <laughs> will Will just play a couple points first? <laughs> Look, no, I mean, no, that's that is a good point. Like, if there was some sort of, if your team was vying to earn a bid to regionals, not nationals, right? And you were playing against a B team that had freshman ringers from the A team, then perhaps there's an argument to be made that that's not fair. But I just feel like we're talking about a B team here. Yeah, and, you know, and it's, like, I would, it's like the it's like the we're talking about practice. And we're I, would, about I would tell the B team captains to ask each team. Like I would say, "Hey, we have a couple players playing from the A team. Is that okay?" Like Right. You, you know, you want to make sure you're you're on the up and up. But this is one of those things where it's like spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Like, sure. We want to decrease barriers to participation. And this seems like a way to help do that. But, you know, I, I'm willing to abide by the rules and hopefully everything works out. I will be uh, 
nervously watching from afar to the best of my ability. Well, indeed, Stanford Invite's coming up this weekend. Of course, we're going to talk a lot about it on the show today. If you haven't seen it already, don't miss our live streaming schedule. We've got eight games coming your way this weekend. So sit down on your couch, grab your phone or your computer, your television, throw it up there and enjoy. These are some of the best teams in the country. And we've got some just some great games. So um, you can find the streaming schedule on Ulti World and on our social media channels. Don't miss it. Um, before we get into Stanford Invite Chatter, quick little news out this week from the Olympic world, where Paris 2024, the Olympic Games we're in. Committee we're in. in Paris. We're in. We're in. We're in. I'm, 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 all right, I'm running around. I'm crazy. This is great. Keith, I'm, I'm sorry to break it to you. Ultimate not in. What? Not in. Did not make it. No way. Beat out by breakdancing. And I'm not even what, joking. What wedding? Yes. What time portal did I just go in? Yes. So, yeah. So, the, so understand just a quick update for everybody who's not doesn't follow this stuff super close. The Olympics now allow individual host cities to add a couple of sports to their individual games that aren't on the standard program. And what that means is that new sports have an opportunity to get in. Uh, Ultimate tried to get in for Tokyo 2020. They were not even selected to the shortlist and uh, will not be at the 2020 games. Uh, There was no announcements about Paris until after the fact. Ultimate did, in fact, apply to be included, but did not make the cut there either. This does not really come as a surprise, just to be clear. Uh, Mostly, Ultimate's hopes have been pinned on Los Angeles 2028 for obvious reasons. Of course, there's a long history of Ultimate and disc sports in not only the United States, but in L.A. USA Ultimate has a very close connection with the U.S. Olympic Committee. There's a lot of reasons to think that that was going to be the best shot. But the question, Keith, especially after we saw three of the four sports that Paris added are the same as the sports that Tokyo added, does Ultimate even have a chance in LA 2028. And I'm not asking you to have any inside information here. Of course you don't. And nor, nor do Excuse I. Excuse me. You don't know. I've, I may have some inside insidery IOC connections. We got that. We got that. The shady IOC connects. Uh, what do you think that ultimate's got a real chance here? Or is this all been one long bad dream? Oh man. I want to believe. I think it does bode poorly that you're seeing the same sports picked over and over again. It's actually it's kind of a cool idea on its face, right? To have uh, kind of a little rotating slate of sports that maybe even can be flavored for the local culture uh, of the area. I think that that's kind of a cool concept. But, uh, you know, I don't know how much of this world is like backroom lobbyists and briefcases full of cash and things like that. Uh, because some of it may, you know, if... That just leads to the structures that are in power remaining in power uh, because they have the money. So, uh, you know, if there's a lot of money in the Breakdancers Alliance for whatever global breakdancing group there is, uh, which, to be fair, breakdancing is sweet and probably extremely hard uh, and requires a lot of athleticism. No knock on breakdancing. I just, like, think a team sport would be sweet like Ultimate. But, uh, you know... It this feels bleak, 
like because because this sounded like a mechanism that would be helpful and the fact that it is proving otherwise is very concerning to be clear here are the sports that are in for tokyo 2020 and remember ultimate didn't even make the short list for consideration baseball and softball karate skateboarding sports climbing which is rock climbing and surfing um what you will note about all of those sports is that they are massively bigger than ultimate massive <laughs> the sports for paris are surfing sports climbing skateboard and breakdancing so we've had five and then four three of which are the same and you know i i, I guess you look at some of those sports like surfing a hello that's going to be in la skateboarding very likely to be in la and so then there's two possibly three spots and if sports climbing goes well you'd imagine that's going to be in because rock climbing is huge we just had a documentary about rock climbing win an oscar it just it it's hard to imagine it it feels like ultimate's going to be fighting with about 20 other sports for one spot and to be clear, the odds are still way better than they were 10 years ago when this mechanism didn't exist for sports to be added. You just had to make the like the full slate, and that was impossible because there were never any changes. And, you know, the changes that were happening were like adding snowboarding, like big, big sports that are in the X Games and making millions of dollars in television advertising. So, I mean, it just feels like a thin margin. And I, you know, again, this is not a surprise. It's, it's not like this is anything shocking. I think the, the thing that is discouraging is the fact that you're only seeing one sport that wasn't already selected getting added. And, you know, it, it just makes it feel like there's going to be a really, really, really long uphill road for ultimate. Another trend that that portends poorly, I think, is and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but to my observation, is it just me or are all of these sports individual sports? Yep. So, I mean, the if you haven't never thought about well, it, the well, logistics ba- baseball, of baseball, softball. Oh, baseball and softball, in, but in those Tokyo. are those are major sports with a lot of money behind them but the other ones and and they're huge in japan like everyone knew baseball and softball were going to get in because i mean it is massive in japan it's probably the second most popular place for baseball and softball outside of the united states but my my point is that like adding teams to the olympics is expensive adding individual groups is a lot more affordable and logistically less challenging so uh, you know, there could be a trend towards towards those types of sports. But I will say, you know, it takes a lot less people than ultimate tent ball. Tent ball 60, t- 2060. <laughs> tent ball 2060. Get on it's the It's coming. We got it. We should patent that. We really and should. like make it into an actual game with like more specific rules. Tent ball and world. It's, yeah. <laughs> Great game. All right. Well, uh, let's get into some Stanford invite chatter. And Obviously, we could probably spend 10 minutes talking about every team and have a five-hour podcast, but we're not going to do that. What we're going to do is we're going to treat it, pardon the interruption style, and we're going to hit topics in like two minutes, 
and move on to the next. So we're going to really keep it flowing here. And I will just go ahead and kick us off, Keith. And we will begin in the women's division. And I will just ask you right off the bat, are we more likely to see another rematch between UC San Diego and Santa Barbara, who met in both the final of Pres Day and of the Santa Barbara Invite? UCSD won both. Or are we more likely to see some new teams make the Stanford final? More likely one way or the other. Uh, I mean, you got to feel like we're on track for for what we've seen a lot of already. Uh, the as as our own Graham Gerhardt coined it, the Southwest Triple Crown Tour. Uh, you know, it feels like we could be in for the same final. Uh, now I'm not going to spoil my picks or anything. You're not going to you're not going to draw draw blood from the stone yet. But uh, you know, I th- I think that Santa Barbara's the the weak link here. You got to think that they're a little less likely than the most dominant team in the country to make the final uh, with some tough competition and a, and a really difficult pool. I think that the B pools have been, were a tough draw really in both divisions, but uh, in the women's division, you know, I think that that's not going to be a, a, a cakewalk for them. And so I think we're more likely to see it than not, but I think it's very close uh, to even odds. Yeah, I, I think so too. But you know, you say it's a tough draw, and and it is. You know, Washington is a good team, Colorado is a good team, but you know, this Santa Barbara team needs to get a little bit more respect. I mean, they, they they've been killing everybody except San Diego. They beat Wisconsin by four. They beat Cal by four. They smashed a bunch of bad teams. They beat Texas by six. They beat Stanford by six. They beat Colorado at Pres Day by three. So they don't have the cleanest offense in the world, but their defense has just been amazing. And if anything, you'd think that the offense is going to continue to improve at a healthier clip than the D. It just, you know, you get a little more polish, get a little more practice. I I understand why people look at that team and say, I don't, I don't know if I want to bet on that team because they are a little rough around the edges, especially on offense. They turn it over a ton. But at the end of the day, look at the win-loss record. I mean, they're, they're dominating. So I'm going to say that we're going to see the same thing. I'm tipping my picks, but I think we're going to get that rematch again. All right. I, I, I am, I am going to go the other – I'm going to go the other way. If we're going to tip our picks, I'm, I'm going to go the other way here. And I, you're, you voiced my concerns for me. The, the lack of efficiency – it almost always comes around to bike teams when it comes down to it. Who's the best team in the Northwest? We might get that question answered this weekend. What do you think, Keith? Tough call. Uh, our candidates in the field here, Oregon and Washington, the six and seven overall seeds, UBC and Whitman both making their debuts. UBC at the four seed at the top of pool D and Whitman at the 14 seed. Uh, BYU also at the tournament at the 16 bottom seed, but they have been struggling this year. So I don't think we're going to consider them a major candidate. Uh, Washington, UBC, Oregon, all in the field. Western Washington, not in the field, but uh, they got a slight win over Oregon at Pres Day, so you know nothing definitive here. I do expect to see UBC emerge as the best of these three teams, but I think that they're all going to be pretty close together. Uh, I think Oregon will probably be up and down this year, and I really like the pieces of the Washington team. 
UBC, it's always a little weird to bet on them at the Stanford invite because it's their first tournament. So I think that you know they're a little bit behind the eight ball, but their program's really used to it. This pretty much happens every year. And some years we've seen them flame out, but other years we've seen them come out and, and show up pretty well at this tournament. So uh, I think they have a very strong chance of making it to the semifinals and looking like the best team in the region this year. Yeah, look, UBC made the final last year at Stanford. They always start their, their year at this tournament. You're always a little bit nervous about that because you think, well, they're they're going to be rusty. They're going to have to get their feet under them. As long as they don't blow it in pool play, I think they're going to be right there as the best team again. And I, I, Part of that is because I just don't think that Oregon looked all that great at Pres Day. I didn't think Washington looked all that great. I mean, better maybe than last year, but not world beater at Santa Barbara. So... For me, you look at the talent on paper. You look at Ellen Al Young coming back. UBC is going to be the team to beat, and so I expect to see them, uh, if not in the final, certainly in the mix to make the final. So let me ask ask you this, Charlie: the South Central representatives, uh, Texas and Colorado. I mean, these have been two of the top teams in the division recently, but not not their best start out at president's day invite Colorado knocked out in quarterfinals. Uh, Texas fails to make the bracket. Could we see some South central redemption here at Stanford invite? No <laughs> flat. I think that these teams are probably going to get there by the end of the season, but it's only been two weeks since Pres Day, and they looked a little shaky. Uh, Texas clearly missing some of the players that graduated this offseason. The offense struggled, especially without Dominica Sutherland on the field. Colorado has great structure, but they just look super young. Um, I'm really excited about the potential of Colorado. I think that they could develop into a very good team this year and a great team in the next couple of years. I mean, they're a freshman um, Bailey Shigley is maybe the best player on their team. She's been unbelievable for me, definitely in the conversation for rookie of the year right now. I've been super impressed. And I think that, you know, while they are going to get there eventually, they're not there yet. They're young and their offense uh, kind of requires a lot of high difficulty throws and they weren't hitting them. So with the weather looking a little shaky, I don't see this region coming away with a couple of bids. I don't think we're going to see redemption. I'm I'm with you, uh, I, and especially your Colorado takes. Very strongly agree that I think this is a team that has a lot of high ceiling by the end of the year, particularly with uh, coaching staff and culture that's very well established. But I think it's going to be tough sledding for them. I already said that I think they're in the hardest pool, and I think that's going to make it challenging for them to score upsets. I think you're going to see flashes from this team because the athleticism on defense, because they have some real playmakers like Shigley. Uh, I think you're going to see some flashes where this team looks like, wow, that that team could really take down a top contender uh, when they're hot. But I, I just don't know if we're going to see enough consistency from them in this tournament to to outperform, you know, kind of their seeding. Uh, but a, a team to watch as we get later into the year. Can Carlton shine in the West? They looked pretty good out at Queen City, but the going is going to get a lot tougher out here at the Stanford Invite with all of this strong West Coast competition. How is Carlton going to handle that? Do you expect them to do well? 
I do expect them to do well. I mean, they they looked strong at Queen City. They they ended up losing that semifinal to North Carolina 15-10, but they were going blow for blow for the first two-thirds of that game. I mean, it was hard to say that that either team looked significantly better to the uh, from the other until North Carolina pulled away. And then and then Carlton just demolished Tufts, which is a win that was more impressive in, before Commonwealth Cup than it was after. Uh, but you know they they put a hurting on pretty much everyone else they faced. They've got a great blend of talent and experience. They they've got a lot of size and athleticism. I expect this Carlton team to be a real contender at this tournament uh, and potentially the most unlikely team to unseat UC San Diego. Even if I wouldn't put money on that, I look back at what they did at Queen City and it makes me feel a little shaky. I mean, their best win was over Tufts. And to be fair, it was a great win. They beat them 15-3. The same Tufts team, by the way, that beat Ohio State, who just made the final at the Commonwealth Cup this past weekend. So I I don't know what's going on with Ohio State or Tufts or any of these teams. But other than that, you know, they, they blew teams away for the most part, but they didn't really play anybody who I think was that good. Aside from UNC, who they lost to by five. And I don't know. I get it. Like, it's common for good teams to play close with teams that are below their level and then pull away at the end. I mean, we, we, we have seen that time and again in Ultimate. So the fact that they were close to UNC at the beginning of the game doesn't necessarily tell me that they are at the level of UNC. I think I still kind of want to stand by what I said earlier this season, which is that Carlton's going to be good, but they're young. And I think they're going to probably win a game or two that maybe surprise us and they look amazing. And they're probably going to lose a game or two that they shouldn't. And I think it's going to make for more of a mixed result weekend. Uh, can I also note how much the East Coast teams are going to be rooting for Carlton? They, oh, they yeah. need these rankings Let me get them bids. to come back. You know, Teams like NC State and Tufts that could end up around the bubble, uh, they're going to need it. I know Florida is also in the field, but I think that they haven't shown the pieces necessarily. Although, you know, winning these consolation games matters in the algorithm the same as the bracket game. So who knows? Which, by the way, makes no sense. It is a little that weird. makes no sense. They should definitely do something to change the weighting, at least some. But you're right. As it stands, you are it correct. Is, it, it would be weird because if it gives the formatting like some sort of weird power to to indicate the importance of games. I don't know. Weird, weird debate for another day. Maybe another bonus segment one day. I like it. Um, Let's go to the men's division and let's start with the obvious one. Is anybody going to challenge this UNC team this weekend? Uh, For like a couple minutes, probably. Uh, Maybe Mike D will challenge them in some way. He'll like push them (laughs) a little bit, but no, I I mean, they look like a freaking machine. (laughs) They look like a, a robot that's set on destroy. Uh, they don't always, I will say that they don't always seem like they're like quite in kill mode for, for if we're sticking with the robot analogy. Like they don't always exactly put teams away in a way that seems really healthy. You know, you think back to that Ohio State game and like that kind of opens the door. But I think it's Stanford invite where it feels like there's a little bit more on the line. If they get into it with, a Brown or a Carlton or an Oregon or whatever, I think you may see uh, the the switch flip 
for UNC. So I'm I'm going to say that they're mostly going to go unchallenged. Oh, my whole livelihood is <laughs> riding on whether they go undefeated or not. So uh, <laughs> I heard there's a bounty um, on you. <laughs> <laughs> look, I, I just I look at the teams that are going to have a chance to face UNC, and I think about the matchup, and I just there's no way that I see anybody really playing within two, three points of them. Yes, could UNC have a bad game, have a bunch of weird turns, you know, deal with the rain in a weird way? I mean, their their pool, they're going to walk through their pool. And it's supposed to be nicer on Sunday. So I I just, I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't even see a game happening like last year where Oregon, you know, should beat them in that semifinal. And, you know, it was a a great game, you know, super even, fun, exciting. I, I don't, I'd expect if UNC plays the way that we know they can, they're going to win most of their games without a lot of drama. Yeah. I Could we get another a close first half a game that's that's 10-8 and then they pull away? Yeah. that's That feels like about as challenging as we're going to see. So looking at the other teams at the top of the, of the top of the table here, Brown coming off their huge dominant warm-up performance. Are they a legitimate championship contender? That's the question. Well, the problem with that question is that it has to be compared to UNC, and I don't think they're UNC. But if it means that they're capable of getting into the final at Nationals and having a puncher's chance, then yes. I I think they are, and I think they're going to show up this weekend and, and show us a little bit more than they did at this time last year when there was some similar buzz after they played very well at warm-up, and then they came in to uh, Stanford and got smacked by Washington on the live stream. Um, I, I just think their their best players are more experienced. So you've got you know another year of, of play from Mac Hecht and John Randolph. Their role players are better, and overall, they just look like a team that now knows what it takes. That's what I saw at warm-up. And it's fair to criticize the resume at warm-up. They didn't really have to play that many great teams. But at the end of the day, they won all their games very comfortably. And I just think that they have that look about them that great teams have. So I say, yes, they're a championship contender. I think that on the tape, you're right that they their role players look like they've grown and the team looks a lot more confident. But... I still have some concerns about the way they give away the disc a, a bit more frequently than I think is is necessary and how their role players are going to stand up under pressure. They mostly didn't have to face any pressure at all. Uh, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of a push from Central Florida in the very beginning, but for the most part, it was easy goings for them at warm up. And I think warm up is kind of developed into a weird tournament where it's unclear exactly how serious teams are taking games. And I think the level of competition that we're about to see Brown face is just so different from what they were facing in warm up. And I think you're kind of, uh, you know, hand waving that part away. You know, they get two good wins over Georgia. Uh, but you know, we don't know much about this UCF team and what they're about. Uh, are we impressed by Minnesota or UT Dallas? I mean, this is a team. Brown gave up seven to Cornell. Michigan bageled Cornell. Michigan bageled Cornell, and they scored seven on Brown. It's fair. I have not. I, I, I can't say anything about that. I mean, I don't know how. That was the craziest thing ever, though. 
go watch that tape of Michigan Cornell if you haven't. And there's a point at which Cornell definitely should score, and a Michigan player makes an incredible bagel saving <laughs> layout D. And was then, it like, like was it like eleven nothing? I was. It was. <laughs> it was like the game was way over. But, like, you could tell that Michigan had, like, realized that now is time to play for the bagel. And this dude just gets an incredible D in the upwind end zone. It, it's, a, it's a special game. I was actually – I started by hating the game. I was like, oh, God. You know, I was like, it's 5 nothing. What a nightmare that I have to film this. And then he came and around. Then, and then, you know, it gets to halftime. And you're starting to think, oh, maybe they could, maybe they could do this. And then every point becomes incredibly exciting. It's it's like watching. It's like trying to shoot the moon in hearts. You know, you're just on on the edge of your seat. Anyway, look, Brown Brown's gonna get put through the gauntlet immediately. They have to play in the rain and the cold on Saturday. And so you know your 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 pretty perfect offense is not gonna be there. And then they also have to play against a really tough pool, Carlton and a team that smashed them last year, Washington. And so when you combine those things, it's definitely going to be, we're going to learn a lot about Brown in one day. And even Colorado State, the four seed in the pool, not a pushover. So I think, you know, they're going to get pushed. They're going to get tested right away. But I think that they're for real. They're just the same team as last year, but better. And that's pretty good because they were in quarters. Johnny G buckets. Count on Johnny buckets. Next cup here, Keith. Can slow keep going fast? Wow. That's quite a question. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of high on this slow team after their win at Prez Day, getting a win over Oregon. Uh, and, you know, you, you go back and look at the resume – BYU, that's it. That's, that's that it. BYU team is is damn good. Uh, and they and they they played terrible defense in that game. Slow did. That's that's the worst game I've seen them play all season. Right, and and it was still pretty competitive. I mean, I think that slow. I feel like what I like about slow is that they are playing well, but it doesn't feel like they're playing their best, and they're getting wins. And being able to get wins when you're still building, when you aren't yet playing your best, to me is like a sign of a team that really has the capability to make a deep run. And I I think it's very possible that this is the second best team at this tournament. I think that is well within the realm of possibility. So I think it's I think that the slow fast pun, I think that that is viable here. Yeah, I mean, you know, the unfortunate thing is if they handle business in pool play and, and they have a tough game against Texas, no doubt, we'll be streaming that. So definitely tune in and watch that one. I think it'll be a great game. Assuming they come out of that pool alive and win it, then they have to face UNC most likely in semis. And so, you know, I guess it just depends on like what you consider. Like, is a good loss to UNC a successful weekend? I think it is. So in that sense, I do think slow can keep it rolling. And I'm going to be really curious to see that slow team, which is athletic, has some great individual defenders, and has, you know, put away teams that we didn't really expect them to be able to, like Oregon. How do they handle a team like UNC that has the skill advantage over them? 
perhaps they will have the athletic advantage. So that'll be an interesting game. I don't expect them to win it, but I think if they, you know, get to semis and, and you know, perform decently against UNC, that that would be a very solid weekend for them. So there's some other teams who are hoping to get their own solid weekends, teams that struggled in earlier competition, fell below expectations. Obviously, at the top of the list is Carlton, but teams like Wisconsin, Minnesota, Washington, and to some degree, even the low seeds, Colorado, Colorado State, Stanford, Northwestern, all of these teams have put up worse results than anticipated. Who's got the biggest bounce back in them, Chuck? I'm going to go with Wisconsin, and I'm just betting the odds here. This Wisconsin team always looks bad at warm-up and then always plays well at Stanford. I don't know why. I mean, you could come up with arguments as to why, because they're you know coming from Wisconsin, they haven't had that much practice, blah, 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 but they always just look like a completely different team, and I expect to see that again. I think... You know, look, they, they're not going to beat UNC, but I think they're going to finish second in that pool. I think they're probably going to win their crossover, and I think they're going to be a tough out for anyone. So that's my pick. Uh, I think there's, there's a number of these teams. You know, I also think Washington's got a really good chance to play a whole lot better, uh, assuming that they're healthy and ready to go. But uh, I think, you know, we're going to get surprised by a couple teams this weekend on the high side and on the downside. I'm I'm with you on on Washington. I mean, and asterisk in, included. If this team is healthy, I think that we could see them bounce back. Looking at the tape, I think that the stuff that we saw that looked looked bad is very correctable. I think that they're talented and deep. Uh, I don't know if they quite have some takeover players, but they've got some athletes, uh, and they've got a plan when they've got the disc in their hands. Uh, I think that Washington is a team. I think could overperform again. It's a rough draw being in that spot in Pool B. Uh, but I definitely think they could take a win off one of the teams above them and then take a win off somebody in the bracket uh, when it matters. But I think that Washington's in a position to bounce back. The, the team I'm the most curious about might be Minnesota. I feel like they're just too experienced to be this medium. You know, they are just deeply medium, it seems like. And I, I, I feel like there's just too many veterans for them to not be a little bit better than what we saw to start the year. Yeah, I mean, if you're just thinking about teams that really look like they played well well worse than their April, you'd have to go with them and, and probably Carlton as teams that you'd expect to see biggest bounce backs from. Not, neither of us said Carlton. True. I'm 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 conspicuous. I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna go there right now. Uh which prove it team, which team that's you know hasn't really that, that people aren't really going to believe in until they see it is going to prove the most this weekend. Woo. Uh, I would say that your top candidates here, probably Ohio state Cal. I know you were stumping for Northwestern early in the year. Uh, UVic. And to me, it's between Ohio state and UVic. Although, the change in conditions feels like it does favor Cal in some way after after we saw what their vaunted zone can do. But um, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Uvic. I think I I think I could see this Uvic team getting a win in the bracket or something of that nature, getting some really nice consolation wins, being really competitive, maybe with teams they didn't expect. Uh, I like Ohio State. I think they'll probably outperform you know where they're where they're drawn in here. 
But uh, I'm going to take Uvic because I, I expect Ohio State will have some bumps and bruises along the way. I honestly think Northwestern is going to be that bounce back team. And maybe I'm going to, you know, eat my words after I ate them big time after a warm up. But it makes no sense that that team goes from looking so good at nationals last year, bringing back most of their people and then looking hapless. I think, you know, they're the, they're the bottom seed of this tournament. They're seeded below Stanford. That's, that's crazy. I, I expect them to, to do a lot better than that. And I think they're in a pool where they've got to feel like they're going to have a real good chance to get a wins over OSU and Cal. So that is, that's like the prove it pool. <laughs> it really is. Nobody, yeah. nobody's going to really believe in any of those teams. Uh, I will definitely be curious to see how Uvic handles playing against two blue blood programs in Wisconsin and UNC. That that's you know even if they lose both those games, like if they play really well, that to me would show a lot. Um, I think you know people aren't talking enough maybe about Uvic. Like multiple U twenty four Canada players looked really sharp at. Santa Barbara, they could be a, a really very solid team again this season. I'm 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 in on Uvic, although the history of these kind of fringy Northwest teams is pretty inconsistent. I would say so a checkered past, so to speak, and that makes me a little nervous. But on the tape, I think the core of the Uvic team can really drive them. We're gonna roll right into our picks because we've got a small ball coming up for you at the end of the show. And um, our picks this week were a little derailed because the Commonwealth Cup final didn't actually take place after games were shortened uh, by by kind of the choice of the teams down to seven. And then there was some question about whether or not they were going to play the final. Dartmouth had to drive a really long way to catch flights. And they inexplicably chose flight times that were going to always be a challenge to get the final played. Teams, stop doing that. Please, stop doing that. It is very annoying to have games, big important games, not happen because you booked your flights too early. Don't do that. Especially my, if you're the number one overall seed. The number seed. one seed. Like you got a, the rated two-time rated the national championship. You can't plan to be in the final? Come on. Anyway, we're going to talk in our bonus segment for subscribers this week about cold weather, rain, ultimate, and at what point should games just not happen? We talk about this with the heat. We rarely talk about it with the cold or with the rain. You know, obviously excluding lightning. So we're going to talk about that in our bonus segment. So make sure to check that out. You can subscribe at ultiworld.com slash subscribe. But let's take a look at our picks. Keith, why don't you run it down for us from last week? All right. So last week, uh, we did pick the finalists for Commonwealth Cup. So that part will stand. Uh, across the board, everyone had Dartmouth and UNC. So even though the listeners had the upset pick, with UNC over Dartmouth, everyone's just going to get a single point for that one as everyone got Dartmouth correct in the final, but not UNC. Ohio State made it to the final. Uh, myself and the listeners are going to get the bonus point for picking Ohio State over Pittsburgh. Charlie will miss out there. So that'll make for the difference. 
Listeners get two, I get two, Charlie gets one, and that updates our scores to Charlie in last with 12, I'm in second with 16, and the listeners still holding up the front of the front of the pack here with 18. Okay, I just want to say, what is with this Ohio State team? They come out of Florida Winter Classic, play great, almost upset Dartmouth, then they go to Queen City, play terrible, look bad, and then they come out at Commonwealth and you know, beat a really good UNC team and look great again. What's going on? They're they're really good, and they have a game-changing thrower who's not the most consistent player on earth. So sometimes the threes are falling, and sometimes they're not. Live by the three, die by the three. All right, let's get to our picks this week. Our listener, none other than Kyle Weisbrod. Thanks, Kyle, for getting your picks in this week. And I will say, Kyle... A, a proud Brown alum did not pick Brown to win the tournament. So no homerism here, which I hope it bites him. And then Brown can really just stick it to him in the alumni email threads. I mean, he's as proud of a Brown alum as, as I can think of. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll start with his picks in the men's division. He's got UNC winning the tournament over Brown. Hard to argue with that. Um, I also have UNC winning the tournament, uh, but I've got BYU. No, I, I I might pick BYU if they were playing on Sunday. But I am also taking Brown to make the final. And uh, so I've got the same as Kyle. Who you got, Keith? Uh, I'm, I've got UNC to win. Chalk. Uh, but I'm actually going to take Oregon to make the final here. Mm. Uh, I think we could get a little bit of a bounce back from a very talented team that, it, when it's clicking, is going to look extremely deadly. Uh, it, Will Laurie is just about to beast all over people, but I, I think that there's weapons behind him. And I think that this Brown team could, could get a little exposed. It, I think that I kind of wanted to pick slow. But the bracket just doesn't line up for them. Uh, so I've got Oregon losing to UNC in the final. You know, that if we get that Brown-Oregon semi, I will be very interested to see what happens. Because oh, yeah. I mean, there are so many interesting matchups at this, yeah. in this lineup. No, no doubt. Uh, in the women's division, Kyle has UC San Diego winning the tournament over UBC. That would be a, a, a carbon copy of what happened last year in the Stanford final. I have San Diego winning as well, but I have them playing yet again against UC Santa Barbara. So I'm calling the 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 triple the Southwest Triple Crown Tour has a Triple Crown champion in San Diego and a Triple Crown runner up in Santa Barbara, getting three silvers on the tour. Keith, who you got? All right, I have another upset. I mean, I kind of kind of previewed this earlier, but I've got UCSD over Carlton who I think is going to show us the Carlton team that we thought was in them. Uh, talented rookies, talented sophomores, talented juniors, talented seniors. I mean, that's the right recipe. So <laughs> You're I saying they're it, talented, Keith. I, th- I am saying that. Uh, I don't think that they're good enough to beat UCSD, uh, but I think they can give them a good run for their money. Our bonus pick this week is at the FCS D3 tune-up, which is being run by our very own Division Three men's editor Michael Ball, also a host of the 7500 Club, a podcast about Division Three College Ultimate that he hosts with Sam Echevarria. Definitely check out the show. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. 
the 7500 Club. And um, he's got a real cool tournament happening this weekend. He's got a match play format, like entirely match play. So all of the teams have a preset schedule and there's no bracket. Um, what that means is that everybody gets to play tons of out of region teams and kind of you can power match a little bit in terms of skill. And it just gives a ton of games and connectivity to a division that often doesn't get that. So should be a really cool tournament. The marquee matchup is Air Force versus Middlebury. This is a, a men's division tournament. Um, and, uh, you know, Air Force in the final last year, excellent team. Middlebury, a team that did very well also and is expected to be excellent this season. And guess what? They're the number one and number two teams in the country right now. So we got number one versus number two, Air Force versus Middlebury. The line is Air Force minus three and a half. Mm. So it seems like a pretty fat line. Remember that Air Force beat them by four last year and uh, Middlebury dealing with a little bit of some injuries. So just FYI, I am going to take Middlebury plus three and a half. I just think they're going to be good enough to stick around close in that game, even if they lose. Yeah, line's too generous for me. I got I got to smash Middlebury here. Kyle is going to take Air Force minus three and a half. He said, I have no idea. But I hate Middlebury, so I'll pick Air Force, and you can quote me on that. <laughs> Spoken like a true Brown alum. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, old habits die hard. Do you remember those? <laughs> did you ever see those old uh, ESPN college, ESPN U commercials where it was like rivalries that never die and like adult people remembering their old college rivalries? It's great. I have no idea what you're talking about, but that's awesome. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Big small ball segment coming your way. Stick around. You're listening to Deep Look. Welcome back to Deep Look. Let's play small ball. The Atlanta Hustle, the AUDL team, uh, recently announced that on March 17th, they're going to be playing a halftime show at the Atlanta Legends game. What is the Atlanta Legends, you might be wondering? Well, that's the new team in the Alliance of American Football, this new spring football league. And so uh, the hustle are going to be the halftime entertainment at this AAF game. Thoughts, Keith? Sweet. Uh, We've seen nothing but, uh, I I would say, awesome results from these AUDL showcase games. Uh, I'd say that they've been for the most part, pretty exciting and misgivings about uh, gender representation aside there. Even if I'm feeling a little squeamish, as soon as I watch and I hear 10,000 people gasping as a huck hangs in the air, it's just like impossible to not be like feel a little adrenaline rush. So uh, hopefully these kind of big audiences are a great way to get people excited about the sport. The Alliance of American Football really puts into perspective where the AUDL is. You know, they, they've got games pulling millions of viewers in their very first season. And although they were struggling to pay their bills a couple of weeks ago, somebody bailed them out to the tune of $250 million in new investment. So, yeah. Jim Garretzer, what? <laughs> 
They're renaming the league the Eric Roughnecks. <laughs> uh, Vanessa Ponce de Leon, maybe not a name that you know, she was voted as Miss World 2018. And when this news came out, there was some buzz about the fact that she played a little Frisbee, that she liked to play Ultimate. And I saw the news and I was like, okay, you know, throws a Frisbee around a little bit. But no, Keith, no. She actually plays for Euphoria, a Colombian Ultimate Club that's dead serious. And she's like dead serious about being an Ultimate player. So Miss World 2018 big proponent of ultimate and uh you know i don't think i've ever seen anything like that before yeah i i i was in the same boat as you i was like oh this is probably just someone who's like enjoys ultimate or play to pick up or likes to throw the frisbee on the beach or something like that and then to find out that this is like a competitive ultimate player is awesome uh and she has nothing but glowing things to say about the game on her instagram and I hope that she can continue to spread Ultimate uh, through her other avenues. The uh, USA Ultimate has their competition working group meetings every winter as they kind of plan the upcoming year for each of their divisions. So youth, club, college, etc. They had their beach meeting and uh, the news came out that their the beach upcoming world championships. So world championships of beach Ultimate, I think is what it is in 2021 the next one instead of sending hand-picked teams by team managers the united states national teams will now be tryout based just like all of the other united states national teams just want to say that this is overdue in my opinion i'm very glad they're moving to this model rather than having players pick their friends to play on the beach national team which makes no sense (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I wonder how different the teams will actually end up being, <laughs> given given the pool of applicants. But I still think that there's so much allure in playing for the national team that you're still going to have a decent decent group of tryouts. Uh, I, I still expect the U.S. to be incredibly competitive, and tryouts to probably be a pretty fun experience. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's clearly like a good process to have tryouts happen. Pure, pure upside here. Yeah. Pure upside. Yeah. Um, and I think we'll leave it with this one. Contest or no contest, Keith? A player picking up a disc that has gone out of bounds to bring it to the sideline that's not involved in the game. Okay. This is so I, I want because I, I have a scenario for this. I can I can give you some real life experience here. This is back, back when I was coaching at Emory. We were at Midwest Throwdown, the one time I've ever coached at this tournament. Uh, and, you know, there were there was, like, snow and, and freezing water. There was some standing water in, like, ditches on the side of the field. Disc rolls out of bounds. It's headed towards the ditch where the water is. And one of my players, who was one of the 14 players on the field, runs over and picks it up to save it from going in the ditch and then puts it down on the sideline for another player to pick up. Turnover or no? We were on offense. Like, we were picking up the disc to begin offense, and the player picks it up to stop it from going in the puddle and then puts it down on the sideline where it would come in, inbounds. But was was on the field? Uh, the disc was off the field. But but the player in question was a player on the field. Yes, was one of the seven players I on, see. on the field. Mm. 
You want to hear my answer here? I was getting all prepared to answer the other question about whether players on the sideline could stop discs and, and bring them to the field, which I think is totally kosher. I really think that there should just be kind of a standard that a game is played with multiple discs. And if a disc goes out of bounds and like goes, you know, more than, let's say, 10 yards out of bounds, that a new disc is just put into play at the spot rather than having to chase a disc down that goes into the ditch. So I think you should basically be able to elect who you want to pick up a disc off the sideline. I don't think it's a turnover, the scenario that you described, because I don't think that that really falls into the kind of like the way things should work. Like if you, if you pick it up instead of just knocking it down, that suddenly you have to put it into play. That's a weird rule that we can just easily change and probably should. Yeah, and uh, it didn't go down that way, and I, I wanted to have my players back, but I was like, by I guess by the letter of the rule, it's a turnover. Oh, de- she was definitely not a rule in the rule book that that yeah. would be a turnover. Uh, and I, I, I was like, look, I understand where you're coming from, but the other team says it's a turnover. I can't argue against them because that's technically the rule. I mean, but there should be I, some... It is, go ahead. What is with the weird, like, you can't change discs rules? I don't really get... Why is that? Like... You know, when someone tacos a disc and someone's like, oh, you can't really switch discs or like... Right. It's that, ridic- ridiculous. What is the point of that? A ridiculous concept. Especially Very because silly. like any other sport where the, you know, the ball can go out of bounds, they just have a new ball. There's a new soccer ball. There's a new football. Well, there's no reason we can't just put in a new disc. And, you know, maybe you have to make sure that everybody's okay with the three or four discs that you choose at the start of the game, but... I just think it's sort of silly, especially when the when it's a really windy day or something and people are like going 50 yards away to get a disc. Like somebody should on the sidelines go deal with that and you should just put a new disc into play. Yeah, that this is a rules committee. Get on this. Let's let's go. And and to be change. clear, this is a layup. This opens up the whole other question about whether if you pick up a disc on the sideline out of bounds that you then have to put it into play. Why? That's a stupid rule. Yeah, as long as you're the, the, not like gaining some sort of advantage. Yeah, by right. You the, you have like, to do. There's got to be some kind of protocol for how you put a disc into play. And like, if you bring it up to the sideline and you set a pivot foot, then okay, now you're locked in. But if I want to give it to somebody else, what's wrong with that? I'm with you. I'm with you here. I mean, there's so I mean, many it, rules in Ultimate that just don't actually make sense that we do because that's what we know. Like timeouts are super useless. It should reset the stall count. You should be able to make substitutions. There's like all this cool stuff we could do with timeouts, and yet we do nothing. And everyone's just like, oh yeah, that has, that's how it has to be because that's how it is. But why does it have to be that way? It's like clearly superior to do it a different way. <laughs> Strictly better. So I'm, I'm in. I'm in. Okay. Coming up in our bonus segment, we're going to talk about cold weather, rainy, crap, ultimate, and when <laughs> you should just say, you know what? We're done here. That'll be our bonus segment for subscribers. Thanks so much for tuning in. This was Deep Look. For Keith Rayner, I'm Charlie Eisenhood saying so long. We'll talk to you next week right here on the show.